the road to consciousness. We will figure out the biggest mystery in human history. How can we have such a rich subjective experience of life? Yet not know from the physical workings of the brain how it comes about. We're going to do it via a method where we put things into knowledge. This is justified true belief from having enough data or evidence that points to something or making some assumptions. We have to make some leaps to get there. This is still a very big mystery, cross-cutting many disciplines. Last time we talked about the ingredients or the recipe for consciousness, I don't think I did it justice. We talked a little bit about what we needed to have, but in reality, we need a lot more aspects. So I wanted to go a little deeper there and then today talk about a deep dive into experience. What is it to actually experience something? When we say that we're having a rich subjective experience uh, and that's the step function we talk about, from just the behavior that we have behavior is one aspect that stimulus uh translates into you doing something but then that internal experience qualia as they call it in philosophy the richness of red that you just ingrain just feel the the music that you hear that's experience you're not going through life just through stimulus and behaviors uh, that is behaviorism from a psychological point of view uh, but again, psychology is also an emergent property or factor of neuroscience. Neuroscience is the electrical signals, the electrochemical signals, but something that emerges is a little bit more for us in terms of our psychology, of our actions, our habits, our beliefs, and our behaviors. But looking at it from the lens of uh, pure behavior versus experience, we could there's many stimulus around us i mean the first few stages of consciousness is a sensation and perception that happens and then we act in a certain way sometimes we just act <laughs> but that experience is definitely there for the ride uh and so experience is a little bit different in my point of view than the behaviors that we have and sometimes it feels like we're just going and, and doing things and we are sometimes we are on autopilot there's subconsciously i mean the classic example is driving sometimes you drive somewhere but you've done it so many times that it just you just do it walking is a subconscious autopilot behavior i mean you don't generally think unless there's something to consciously think about uh, you don't overly experience what you've experienced before. That's your subconscious just doing it. It's it's definitely it pays attention to what it feels it needs to pay to. But when we are in that zone, uh, I'm using zone specifically in terms of like athletes, I think are, are prime for this. They get in a zone, right? Their, all their focus is on that experience. And, and this happens when, let's say you go to a concert or you're listening to music that you're really enjoying you're really enjoying that experience. You're consciously, actively just embracing it. Uh, same when you eat a delicious hamburger. This is my classic example. You, 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 that experience is something that you you have a, a sensation of feeling uh, at that time. So experience can be different levels as well in that sense. Um, but doing a deep dive as to what exactly experience is, uh, let's go back to talk about the ingredients. Well, some of the ingredients we didn't talk about, I don't think I did it justice. We definitely need something along the lines of time. And it's not necessarily time. Now, time is super fascinating because we don't know what time is. Out of all the mysteries not to know, again, it is something that's ingrained in us. We experience time. 
But the interesting thing about time is the directional aspect that we experience. Time, safe to say from a scientific lens, doesn't exist in the way that we experience it. We experience past, present and future. But science, especially physics, uh, it treats time as, as an element or a dimension into the, the theories that it has. It's another part of the theory that allows for a change, almost like cause and effect. Something happens before something else. And barring one instance, forward and backward doesn't matter. And by one instance, there was some quantum mechanical experiment around CT. CPT in, in one of the elements is time. Most scientific and th- and f- physics theories, you can play time forward and backwards, and the everything plays out the way that you expect uh, with your theories and and the experiments that you run. So there was one small instance. Other than that, it doesn't place a directional aspect to time like we do, uh, and that's I think a very key difference. There is something emerging out of. Uh, thermodynamic second law of entropy that it always increases but really science and physics cares about a state change is is how i would describe it uh and that change allows things to play out in a scientific world or or the physics world for us time though the way that we experience allows us to have conscious experiences that change i mean without time or that directional aspect it would be one experience i mean We've all seen movies where they stop time. Like if time wasn't there, it'd just be a single experience and nothing will be happening. So it's definitely a key ingredient. Again, the directional aspect is probably more the key ingredient. The fact that things are changing, now cause and effect is another key ingredient. And maybe from a physics point of view, that's more important. But cause and effect is super fascinating. From the physical laws, yes, everything is cause and effect. Something precedes and you know, ultimate causer as Aristotle, or ultimate mover as Aristotle said, but playing out from the beginning of the universe, it, it definitely, everything has changed because something preceded it and caused it to have that. Now, cause and effect plays a big part in our experience, but in our minds, <clears throat> in the in the way that we understand cause and effect because we have experienced it many times before. And David Hume was a famous philosopher that embedded cause and effect into our minds. He was one of the British empirists, uh, 1700s, I believe. Um, So we experience things and and John Locke started the empirist movement with like everyone has a blank slate and everything we learn is through experience. So we definitely have understood cause and effect very well in our minds because we've seen it so many times before. We understand how life works post-developmental period. Uh, let's assume that it's past 21 or 24 when prefrontal cortex is, is probably fully developed. Once that happens, we have a really good understanding of what our own experience means. And so when you're walking down the street and you see things that have happened so many before, for instance, obviously we understand things like gravity, cause and effect, uh, looking around us and seeing the sun and even things moving. Like when you see an object rolling towards another object, your brain and your mind is making an inference. And this is where the future predictor machine comes into it. It's a future predicting experience machine and that experience understands that cause and effect. So when you see a ball, let's say you see a ball rolling towards another ball, you know what's going to happen. You're also going to know what experience you're going to have visually because you've seen it so many times. You understand 
uh, objects bumping into other objects and there's going to be a flow on effect <laughs> so our brains are just geared towards understanding reality really is where i'm going through cause and effect and understanding how time plays out because that state change of time is just something also that we experience it is an emergent property just like consciousness is an emergent property so emergence itself is something that's a key ingredient of our experience and our consciousness um so that time uh definitely help and and time to me is probably one of the fundamental questions that we should have more people trying to figure out what it is because for me they're inherently linked it's not a coincidence that we can't pinpoint where in our brain like there's no clock in our brain that we can point to and sure you have circadian rhythms sure you have other biological rhythms there are patterns though like uh, i don't know your heartbeat your cell rate uh, as to as to you know cells uh, splitting and stuff like that uh, you also have like i said your circadian rhythm which is your uh, hypothalamus and i believe it's your super charismatic nuclei like that understands cycles but the direction and, and error of time there's no place in the brain we can point to and say oh that's where that clock is and even the understanding what it means to be past present and future doesn't necessarily play out in the in the physical world of, of, of even physics right there's two ways you can actually look at time you can either assume that all of the snapshots of time are already preset and in the block universe as the example used uh which was given to us by relativity if you slice up each individual part of the block they're already there and we're actually traveling through time so it's basically stating that past present and future already exist and we have a world line and we're traveling through what we would always travel through don't get me started on the free will aspect but we will travel what we're traveling through and time itself holistically all exists the other camp would say that time the past doesn't exist once it's gone and we we experience the present and the future doesn't exist either which would basically mean that instead of us going through time time is kind of going through us like we're experiencing the time which places it a little bit more into our minds i would say and into our conscious and part of our experience than it would into the physical or give it a, something that it's it's part of the physical world um so it's interesting that time is still such a mystery again i don't think it's a coincidence that that has emerged in our minds and consciousness but also consciousness has emerged from the physical workings of the brain i believe that they're interlinked through emergence what emergence is <laughs> we've talked about this many times before we can describe the behaviors uh of emergence it's a system as a whole having different properties than the sum of its parts even looking at individual parts fine we can look at i guess entropy and entropy increasing and configuration and states conf changing but we wouldn't get the experience that we have through time now what's another ingredient of consciousness and and experience is our macro scale and what i mean by that is like <clears throat> if we didn't live at the scale that we lived in things would be very different we wouldn't have the experience we're having if we were fast enough 
to, to start hitting the bounds of special relativity, uh, things would just be different if we were small enough, uh, 10 to the negative 10 to at the atomic level, then we would, things would be so like things would just be, we wouldn't have this experience. Um, and if we're even large enough, maybe, uh, you know, obviously the universe is huge and maybe things would be different then as well. So there is some intersection that we've found ourselves that gives us this conscious experience because time changes in all of those aspects. Uh, especially in like, if you move fast enough, then time slows down. Uh, and at the small scale, uh, things just look very different in terms of the, what we know is even matter, uh, and space as well. So that's another aspect of this. We, we need to be at a certain scale. We need to have the emergent property. We need some sort of configuration cause and effect, i.e. time, uh, complexity from building blocks seems to be an ingredient um i don't know how best to describe this but there is an element that um the fundamental parts that we have let's say our neurons something happens when we get a lot of them together and then arrange them in certain ways the way that they bind through synapses this is a very similar principle to uh, uh you know quarks Quarks are fundamental to building atoms, to building protons and neutrons. They're all... Actually, quarks are not arranged specifically differently. I guess the number of protons and neutrons within the nucleus, depending on those, gives us different elements and the periodic table. And then based on those and the way that they're arranged uh, and how they bind together gives us all of the matter that we know in so many different ways. Organic chemistry at, at the next high level, uh, hydrocarbons, uh, carbon and hydrogen, especially carbon is, is one of the, you can arrange that in so many different ways and that gives you millions of combinations for organic chemistry, which is basically makes us and then go the next level up is the same with our cells. Uh, you know, our cells generally, there's a handful of types. I don't know how many, I think it's like 200, but there's 37 trillion different cells in our body, <laughs> right? So, same with the neurons. A neuron, I mean, looking at it, I think there's only like three different special types. There's like a hundred, like three different ways a neuron, I believe, can like be in terms of like categories. And yes, you can change the shape of a neuron. And I believe there's, there's maybe a hundred of different ways you can change your stretch, you know, more dendrites or the dendrites are a bit longer or the axons are a bit longer. Or you have multiple axons or, or whatever, but like the fundamental building blocks are, you have a cell body, you have a dendrite, you have the axon, you have the axon terminal and they bind through synapses. And then you take that and then you mix a hundred billion or 89 billion actually for us. And something happens and maybe, you know, this is the emergence principle foundation, but something happens when you start arranging them in a certain way. So nature, what I'm trying to get at is nature is very good at using a few elements and just figuring out. And that makes sense. Like if you were designing the universe, if you were designing our brains, if you were designing the human body, and you know, some of you out there definitely believe in intelligent design. I don't blame you for honest and to be honest given the complexity of nature given the complexity we have in our heads ah oh man that argument is like well how can we know 
right? But what does it mean to intelligently design? It's intelligent design from our perspective, from our consciousness, from our experience. Some super intelligent, again, intelligence is relative and we're relating it to the way humans understand intelligence. And let's get to that understanding in a, in, a, in a second. But back to the building blocks, you definitely want to say, all right, let's take a few different types of, of a foundational thing. And let's just rearrange them. And if I arrange them this way, we get this and this and this and this. So it seems to be a fundamental law of nature. Uh, so we need that as well. Let's say we listed a whole bunch of ingredients that we hadn't added last time. So I think that's definitely interesting. Now, <clears throat> I mean, we, we want to deep dive in experience. We should absolutely deep dive in experience. I don't even know what it means to deep dive into like, what is experience? If I was going to ask you, what would you say? It definitely has a, a feeling aspect to it. We're not just going about bumping into walls. We are feeling something day to day. This is why I, I, I advocate the emotional significance theory. Our emotions and our feelings, and you can make a differentiation that emotions are, I don't know, there's, to me, they're kind of interchangeable. Emotions, you could think of it at the neuronic level. Is that a word? Neuronic? <laughs> uh, where it's the chemical exchange, or at least the neurotransmitters exchanging, that, that gives rise to a feeling. Again, feelings emerge. When we say happiness, there is a certain number of either dopamine or serotonin that is interplaying here that gives you the feeling of happiness. And again, this is the emergence principle. So maybe I need to structure these ingredients in a certain way that it can give us a good guide as to what, how all these interplay. There is a time aspect, there's an emergence aspect, there's a building block aspect. And let's take an example of the happiness is a good one. Our reward system will kick in or right, there's dopamine released. Uh, and we feel happy that has emerged boom there you go we experience that happiness in relation to something but we don't again going back to cause and effect we understand the concept of happiness because we have experienced it before there is something like what does it mean to make you happy right and this is uh, obviously another big area of philosophy but that's more in terms of like how do you live a good life how do you make sure you're happy but what does that actually mean if i asked you um happiness what it means i understand it means something different to every people i'm I'm not i'm not probably you're not yet we should talk about that in a separate episode like what does it mean to be happy but just the feeling itself it's hard to quantify because it's that is, is a smack bang is what we're trying to figure out that experience of happiness what does it mean to experience happiness <laughs> Um, it's very subjective. Everybody has a different level of happiness and different things do make them happy, right? So I think that's really the key for me. We need to try and deep dive into, take the example of maybe happiness is a good one and then just try and figure out like, what, what does that mean? What does that, what does that exactly mean? Um, it's a sensation. It's more than a sensation. Again, it's an emotion. It's a feeling and that emotional significance uh, theory is also based on previous examples. I know what happiness feels like because I felt it before many times and I'm using all those previous experiences and the emotional significance of something will give me the degree of happiness that I'm having. And so I, you know, I, I think ignoring the previous causation, is is not it's 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 a big part of it the causation just as we talked about two balls hitting each other or rolling one ball onto another we understand that there's going to be a flow on knock-on effect 
we almost preempt and future predict that happiness sometimes, right? My classic example, I'll keep going back to this, is the hamburger. Like when I see a hamburger, I know what it is because I've experienced hamburgers. I understand the concept of hamburgers. I know what's on there because most likely I ordered it. But I also have a pre understanding of the experience that i'm having and this is the future predicting aspect in terms of what it means for me and my emotional significance specifically around happiness i there is no doubt in my mind unless for some odd reason something happens let's say that the hamburger is, is something is made it's not my let's say it's a different hamburger than i always have it's not five guys love five guys hamburgers so I'm taking that element of risk and that plays into my, but I made that choice. And at that point, it's what we call a new experience, right? So new experiences, we don't have, now this is not a great example because like it's still a hamburger. So I still have a measure of what that experience is going to look like that I can preempt. But like there is this extra level of it's an uncertainty and uncertainty is super interesting because our brains don't handle fear or uncertain like we have an inherent fear of the unknown and of uncertainty this is just ingrained in us because of evolution right now the hamburger may or may not kill me depending like it could be a poisonous hamburger but statistically using my powers of uh what is it i guess that's induction no it's not induction it's not deduction it's abduction like I've eaten so many hamburgers before nothing has happened to me. So my powers of abduction says that statistically I'm going to be fine. So rule that on my own. But you get where I'm going with this. Like that fear and uncertainty unknown. Although it's small here, the emotional significance of that fear is tiny compared to previous experiences. That emotional significance plays a big role when I do bite that hamburger though. Uh, and whether I remember that hamburger again for the next experience, this is super fascinating. Like there is a cause and effect that I'm recording to that experience right now after I do that. And that's technically the present experience. As soon as that's happened, it's become the past experience. Once I finish that hamburger, like that's gone. And that past experience, I will either remember and how strongly I remember it will be depending on the emotional significance at the time. That's really the key. Let's say for some reason that hamburger made me sick. Knock on wood. I never want hamburgers to make me sick. Guess what? That emotional significance will be recorded obviously much stronger than if like, sure, I'm going to enjoy it that half an hour, although it doesn't take me half an hour to eat a hamburger. Trust me. That let's say 10 minutes, right? I eat it. I enjoy it. That hamburger is done. Like I'm probably not going to remember it tomorrow. Like I said, unless something significant emotionally happens, that experience is... Now, I don't want to say that it's completely gone. I believe everything has a small or a large emotional experience. And this is where memories come into it. I'm really talking about remembering previous experiences. I do believe almost everything has a very small factor because we just know. We, we, like you can't remember every time you've eaten a hamburger, and right? Um, but you, again, that concept, you just kind of know what a hamburger is. You understand the idea of the form of what it is and you also understand the experience. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe some experiences, maybe really is as sporadic as we think. Like you only remember things based on the emotional significance. We're able to recall things in a crazy way though. Like there's no, there's no other way to experience, there's no other way to describe memory than it's pretty, pretty crazy. Like if I want to think of something, it's it, almost as if it just pops into my mind. <laughs> 
that recall factor is phenomenal and the amount of storage uh, that we have for some of our memories is pretty astronomical uh, right this is this is very efficient at doing that we don't even know exactly where memories specifically especially long term are stored i mean the hippocampus translates the short to medium to long term but actually excuse me sure where it puts it or how it puts it uh, there's many theories out there uh, it seems to be distributed amongst the cortexes. It could be more localized to different regions, excuse me, or lobes of the brain. But either way, however it's doing it, it definitely uh, replays. We also replay that emotional significance, don't forget. Like if you recall a memory that was emotionally significant or super strong emotional significance, uh, PTSD bordering or, or more actual PTSD, then physiologically we replay that right this is why i'm on the emotional stimulus because we carry over that that emotional significance and it's almost as if we're experiencing it again so that's pretty crazy in my mind as well how, how this system like not only do we i'm not uh, factual memory sure i mean when you learn don't forget that's part of it as well like you learn things that you feel are emotionally significant or the more you're emotionally invested in learning the the more you learn and i'm not sure going to talking about factual but episodic memory specifically that part of it like we can replay and depending on how strong it was it's how strong physiologically we replay it you can get a shortness of breath. You can get the anxiety from a previous experience. You can feel your heartbeat racing. You can sweat. So there is something about carrying over that experience and re-experiencing it that I think is is a mix in all this conscious ingredients, right? How can you have consciousness, again, without time, but time lets you store previous experiences and lets you replay previous experiences so that you can help future predictions and help future experience predictions is what i'm calling it you're not necessarily predicting you're not just predicting the events you're predicting your experience with those events and this comes back to you know your external world which is your external environment and you've got your internal world your consciousness is bringing the two together like experience if i was going to define it it's bringing your internal state which you're subconsciously very aware of by the way unless you're have something that you need your attention so if you're hungry you'll probably think about it but in general day-to-day your homeostasis you're just subconsciously keeping yourself alive and then doing the things right so that's part of it but then the external world is something that you need to be not necessarily again subconsciously you could probably do a lot of things but you're conscious of the external environment and how it relates plus the internal environment to your current experience wow I guess we have a definition of experience. Uh, I'd like to record that somewhere. Well, I'm recording it here, but I mean like solidify that. I think we need it to define that experience as that internal and external bridging gap right now in present. So if we're going to create a formula for it, it'll be something, something, something equals experience, right? So at least we've got a starting point and dissecting each of these individually may be the way to go here uh, to deep dive into experience. But the more we try and define it, the more we understand its characteristics, maybe this will help us move towards understanding what it means to have a conscious experience, a rich subjective experience.